0: Hello and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Okay, so uh, we're in Advent. This is week three of four for the season of Advent. And, and each year in Life of Our Church, we uh, hit the, the classical themes of Advent, which are hope, peace, joy, and love. Hope, peace, joy, and love. This is week three. So we're going to focus in on joy. That's our theme. Um, Isaiah chapter 61. Let me read you a few verses here. If you're a church kid, this will definitely ring a bell. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes." A joyous blessing instead of mourning. Festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be, I love this picture, I want this for us in our church so deeply, that we would be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Now, um, again, if you're Sunday school these words sound familiar, but probably not from Isaiah 61, probably from Luke chapter 4. Um, I know for a fact that these verses are talking about Jesus, the Messiah. And that's not because I'm great at interpreting the Bible. It's because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus stood up, read this text to the audience there and basically said, I'm that guy. I am the Messiah. I am the one who is bringing these things about. That's a newer translation, but essentially that was the gist of it. I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I'm the king of glory. I'm the one who's bringing about the hope and the peace, the the, the rescue to those who are lost. I am the answer. And so what we have in these words is is a promise of what it means that Christ has come to be with us and what his coming, uh, uh, the story that it tells for our lives now. Um, And then I just want to continue on in Isaiah 61 now to verse 10, and we're going to focus on this for a minute. Isaiah says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. Overwhelmed. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. That's quite a picture. I am overwhelmed with joy. When's the last time you felt overwhelmed with joy? That's, that, that's a sort of a rare, sort of magical moment when you just feel so flooded that you literally are overwhelmed with joy. seems excessive almost, doesn't it? Overwhelmed. You can be underwhelmed with joy. That sounds pretty normative. Underwhelmed, maybe whelmed with joy. But, but overwhelmed, that doesn't seem super plausible. Or we could say this, that's plausible, but only in fleeting moments. These magical little, this little emotional sprints, where we might feel actually overwhelmed with joy. But that's not sustainable. It's not where anybody gets to live. And I'm, I'm not at all convinced that that's true. I think joy has been, as much as really any idea in Christian, in our Christian faith. Uh, it's been mislabeled. I think there's a common misunderstanding of what joy really is. We often, uh, we often conflate or, or blend the ideas of joy and happiness. They are similar. Those concentric circles overlap. I don't deny that. They're not the same thing. Hear me on this. Joy, happiness, they're not the same thing. And, uh, you know, look, this is something that we've discussed a lot over the years, this distinction that needs to be highlighted between joy and happiness. If you've been in our church for a very long time, then you've heard me talk about making this distinction before. If you've been in our church for a very long time and you haven't heard me talk about that, then you should pay more attention during the sermon because I've said this a number of times, but it's worth coming back to over and over and over again because keeping joy and happiness straight is vitally important. I'm not sure it isn't getting more difficult to do in our current context because I think as a baseline, people are becoming increasingly desperate for either one of them. I'll, I'll, I'd love some joy. I'll, I'll happily settle for some happiness. And that desperation, I'll take what I can get, I think conflates the concepts even more. So we're going to do a little work here to make sure we've got them parsed out. Um, I think of it this way as a shorthand. Joy is calories and happiness is caffeine. Joy is calories. I know we're like, if you're trying to maybe drop an LB or two, which by the way, don't try in December. But if that's what you're working on, you think, oh, calories is bad. No, calories are, we actually need those. Okay. Joy's calories. Happiness is caffeine. Uh, just a bit about this. You probably already know this. I don't mean to insult your intelligence, but just in case you didn't already know, it is actually a myth that coffee gives you energy. That's not true. Many of you know that. Again, fuel for humans, is calories. That's what we run on, that's our fuel. Black coffee is zero calories. Now I know by the time some of you walk out of Starbucks, it's about 1,200 calories. (laughs) But black coffee is zero calories. No energy, no fuel. The way caffeine works is it blocks the signal from your brain that tells you that your body is tired. That's, how, that's all it does, all right? It's not fuel, it's just how we lie to ourselves. That's what we do. Your body says, I'm tired, I need a nap. Just give me a minute and let me rest. It's like a check engine light that we unplug with coffee. It's not real fuel, okay? Happiness, same thing, not real fuel. Nehemiah 8.10 says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's, that's something. Joy is strength. It's real calories. It's actual fuel. It's something substantive and real. Happiness, on the other hand, is just caffeine. Zero calories. It's just a feeling. And that doesn't make it bad. Don't mishear me. Um, I like happiness, And I like coffee, I try to have some of each every day. It's great, happiness is good, I want to be happy, I want you to be happy, it's a good feeling, it is. But it's just that. And by itself, it lacks any staying power. Uh, It's fleeting, is what I'm saying. Because it is just a feeling. Or maybe even it's something less than a feeling. Maybe in some cases, it's just a diversion. It's just a distraction to block our view of reality, which is why we are inclined to abuse it like we do caffeine. Um, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. If you, and if you, again, Sunday school rats know, oh, if you seek first the kingdom of God, it goes on to say then all the other stuff gets added. You know, it comes along the way. First, we seek the kingdom of God a lot of people are seeking first happiness. And that, you know, it checks out. Again, we all want to be happy. There's nothing wrong with being happy. I want you to be happy. Life, liberty, and the pursuit thereof, happy's fine, okay? But when we pursue happiness first as the end, it leads us down often dark paths. Dark paths, here's a very, very churchy word for you. The Bible calls it debauchery, is where ultimately that leads to. That's using happiness as a drug, and it leaves us empty. It just does. We keep trying, we go back again, looking for that dopamine hit of happiness, and it just leaves us worn out. Um, The reason why we do that, and it's totally rational, is I can't create joy. It's not something I can conjure up, no matter what I do. But I can manufacture some happiness. I got a whole list of ways I can make that happen. And I can be happy, at least for a while. And that's a real temptation. And I say temptation, again, not because it's wrong to be happy, but because it is wrong to accept it as a replacement for joy. It is a cheap counterfeit of real joy. Joy has an anchor. Joy, hear me, does not collapse every time something bad happens. Joy is able to survive alongside of our problems alongside of our grief. It has a real anchor. Happiness can't sustain in, in those moments. So joy isn't happiness. And while we're doing this, we'll clarify a couple other things. Um, here's another way to say something a little bit different, but similar. Joy isn't pleasure. Okay. Um, pleasure is fleeting. Joy isn't fleeting. Pleasure just like I said, happiness, slightly different there. I know overlapping concentric circles, a little bit of a different idea. I want to be very clear. God invented pleasure. We're not anti-pleasure. Please, by all means. Okay. But, but when we look to that to be our joy, again, we're left. That leads down that, old, that big, scary debauchery word that we talked about earlier. I'm going to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis. By the way, I love it, by the way, how there's a lot of smart people in our church. And when I say C.S. Lewis, you guys nod your heads and lean in because you're smart and you know this guy can put a sentence together. So let me read it for you. And, and this, is, this is brilliant. He said this, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, Because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Don't settle for the cheap counterfeits. And I'm not against happiness or pleasure. Mm -mm. But don't let that be your replacement for joy. Lots of people miss out on real joy because they go after pleasure. Pleasure is a God-given thing, a good thing. It's not a substitute for joy. Hope you see the difference. Let's do one more while we're here. Joy is not um, the opposite of or the absence of sadness or just in general, vaguely bad feelings. I referenced this earlier. It's very important. Sadness and joy sometimes coexist really well. I was talking to Ginger during the announcement video. Ginger's right over here. She doesn't want me to point her out, but you just saw her head 10 feet tall on the screen. I don't know why she would. But, you know, if you noticed during the announcement video, she was wearing a gloriously ridiculous sweater. Did you guys notice that? It was so great. That's so great. She also told me she had to take her earrings off because she was wearing, like, Christmas bell earrings. This all makes me so happy. And she said, I, I feel weird wearing a ridiculous sweater like that um, while announcing Blue Christmas. Like, was that inappropriate? It's like, No. Joy and silliness, okay, it really can coexist with the awareness of the honesty about genuine sadness and brokenness in this world. Happiness is eradicated by sadness on contact. Joy and sadness, believe it or not, not only can they coexist really well sometimes, and lean in. You're not going to believe this right off, but maybe go home and think about it sometimes they actually aid and fuel one another because each of them pull us deeper into reality. And it's the truth that sets us free. I'm going to read you another quote. This one, Eugene Peterson. Come on now. I'm bringing it today. Eugene Peterson and C.S. Lewis. I got Charles Spurgeon coming up next, so I got excited. Just bringing the very best stuff we got today. Eugene Peterson said this, and man, is this good. A common but futile strategy for achieving joy is trying to eliminate things that hurt. Common, but here he says it's futile. We'll get rid of pain by numbing the nerve ends, get rid of insecurity by eliminating risks, get rid of disappointment by depersonalizing your relationships, and then try to lighten the boredom of such a life by buying joy in the forms of vacations and entertainment. Somebody's toe just got stepped on if they're paying attention. Joy is not finding ways to short-circuit your sadness. Joy is not antithetical to sadness. They're not opposed to one another. And if you try to short-circuit your sadness, hear me, say it in love, you have to short-circuit your humanity in order to do that. You have to, in a very real way, cease to be human. You have to stick your head in the sand and ignore the reality of brokenness in the world around us and in our own lives. We do not achieve joy by short-circuiting sadness, and it's a mistake to try to do so. Joy is not happiness. Joy is not pleasure. Joy is not avoiding sadness or blunting our feelings or emotions. That's some stuff I needed some more zero calorie. (laughs) I needed to lie to myself again about not being tired. Frank wears me out. Um, Okay, so that's some stuff that joy is not. Um, It's actually, at least for me, I think it's really hard to define what joy is. It's easy. We can keep listing things that it isn't. But what is it? Um, I think it's really hard to define. And a number of years ago, I don't know, five, six years ago, something like that, I got really frustrated by all these cheesy, warm, fuzzy, hallmarky-sounding definitions for joy that I kept finding. And I thought, I'm going to dig and search and pray and research until I get to a to a real definition of joy. It took hours because I kept finding these flimsy, unfounded... I don't know, frou-frou definitions of joy, and I'm like, that ain't it, that ain't it, that ain't it. It's warm and fuzzy. I feel vaguely inspired. I don't feel at all informed. That's not what joy is. So as I kept looking, as a last resort, I went to a turnaround on my bookshelf, and I pulled out this old, boring Bible dictionary. You guys know what Bible dictionaries are? Everything's digital now, so we don't know these things, and I play along too. My entire library is here, okay? So I'm playing along. But there were these things called books, and um, there was, you could go, they had these things called Bible dictionaries. You could just, just Google it now. It's fine. Save your money. They're online. But you could buy these big, thick books, and they're usually dusty and old with yellow pages, and they would give you a definition, thorough biblical definitions for what a word was. And so I I read the definition of joy. It was several pages long. I said, it's a big, thick book. And as I read through it, I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, it's not wrong, but I still didn't feel like I had the definition. And then at the very end of that sort of long article, there was two words all by themselves as sort of a last-ditch effort to define it. And it said, grace recognized. And finally, I felt like I was looking right at it. Like, that's it. That's joy. Joy is grace recognized. It's it's not about denial of the hard things that that are true. It's about embracing wholeheartedly, recognizing the ultimate truth that sits above all of those things. The heart of God for us, the grace of God to us. That's the source of joy. And Christmas is the season of joy. Not just because Hark the Herald Angels Sing talked about it. In that, you know, those things that we've pictured since we were kids. No, it's the season of joy. Because if we're zeroing in on what the story of Christ coming means, is you just can't, you can't miss the grace of it all. That Jesus Christ, the King of glory, sovereign over all, came, suffered, and died in our place so that he might make you pure and bring you home. If you sit in this story, it's hard to not recognize the grace of it. So now, Spurgeon, <laughs> all right? You can say it way better than I. Here we go. Christ is the central fact of the world's history. To him, everything looks forward or backward. So scripture and all of human history, if you read scripture and it's the Old Testament, it's looking ahead to Jesus if you're reading the New Testament, you're just, it's looking back to Jesus. All of human history, all of scripture, okay? And to, to him, everything looks forward or backward. All the lines of history converge upon him. All the march of providence is guided by him. All the great purposes of God culminate in him. The greatest and most momentous, momentous fact which the history of the world records is the fact of his birth. King of the universe came all the way to us as a vulnerable infant so that he could then live with us a perfect life so that he could then die for us a perfect sacrifice. Joy is grace recognized. Christmas is the story of grace. Don't Fail to stop and recognize the grace in the story. Guys, let it it hit you. Let it hit you. I know you've heard the story maybe since you were a little kid. And you've seen the nativity scenes and you can get numb to it all and you can get caught up in the hustle and the bustle and all the busyness and all the stuff. and, And never stop to recognize and never stop to let it really hit you. Guys, let it hit you. The sovereign over all He was born in a reeking, filthy stable because he loved you so much that he came to suffer and die in order to rescue you. While you were still a sinner, while still broken, while you had nothing to offer, he came and offered himself to rescue you and bring you home because he loved you too much to not provide rescue. If this season is hard, and it is uh, to varying degrees for many, to varying degrees for all of us, there's difficult things that come with the season. The joy of the Lord in the midst of those difficulties is not a diversion away from those things by which you pretend that those problems are not real. The joy of the Lord is the actual strength that you need to face those difficulties head-on, and not to hide from them. It's not caffeine. It's not a masking agent that lets you avoid reality. That's what drugs do, and joy isn't a drug. It's a wake-up call that plunges you deeper into reality. It's the opposite of masking it or avoiding it. If there is grace to be recognized, there is joy to be had. Christmas is the story of God's grace. Luke chapter 2, 9-12. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the glory of God, of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Or if you grew up watching Linus or reading the KJV, they were sore afraid. Isn't that a strange way to put it? People used to talk funny. Okay, here we'll just use a normal word. They were real scared. (laughs) They were terrified. But the angel assured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. He didn't say, don't be afraid because your problems aren't real or your sadness isn't actually founded. He goes, no, no, no. In the midst of that, I bring great, great news that will bring great joy. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by the sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. I hope you can see the distinction I'm making. The coming of Christ is what the angels called good news Of great joy. Recognizing Jesus' gift to us is the source of joy, real joy, actual, sustaining, calorie rich joy. We don't have to abuse pleasure, short circuit things in order to do that. That's again, that's debauchery. We don't have to avoid sadness. Masking it. That's drugs or diversions or whatever. We don't have to try to manufacture happiness in order to face the difficulties in the world. However, we might try to do that retail therapy or putting a a slick vacation on the calendar or whatever we might try to do. Those are all cheap counterfeits for the real thing. And the real thing, joy, boils down to a choice to live our lives cognizant and aware day by day and hear me, hour by hour of the ultimate reality. The king of the universe has come to rescue you and we are his, and that is joy. Joy is grace recognized. I want to read verse 10 from Isaiah 61 one more time. He said, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. Overwhelmed. He said that seems a bit, uh, that seems excessive. That seems like a lot. Overwhelmed. We might be underwhelmed, That could, but oh, overwhelmed. That's just, a, that's just a flash in the pan. It's just a momentary Uh, reality. It's just a magical moment that we may or may not stumble into. That's what it is to be overwhelmed. But what he describes as the source of that joy is a constant reality, which he goes on to say is this, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. When we say yes to Jesus as our king, bow our knee to him and surrender our lives to him. In response, he robes us. He drapes us, he covers us like clothes in righteousness, in his mercy, in his grace, the clothing of salvation. We are wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus, which is given to us as a free gift. And when the King, our Father, looks at us, he does not see our sins and shortcomings. He sees the righteousness that we have been wrapped up in because of the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. That's joy. That's real joy that we have been clothed in, forgiveness, love, acceptance of our king. Joy, real, lasting, fundamental joy. It's like baked into the gospel. And the way we sustain joy is we set our focus on that truth, We don't deny reality, we plunge ourselves deeper into it. The ultimate reality, if you are a child of God, is that you have been robed in the righteousness of Jesus and are forever changed. Does that make sense? Good, because I'm going to shift gears here for just a second. I just want to make a couple observations here, and I'll preface it with that. These are observations, these are anecdotal. I won't be pointing to a verse to prove my point, so you can take it or leave it. That said, I think think I've zeroed in on a couple of things that I think are actually pretty significant. I'm going to put my finger on something that I I think may be be meaningful. Um, The last uh, three weeks, as we've been going through the traditional themes of Advent, we've discussed hope, peace, and joy. Hope, peace, and joy. I want us to focus on those three words. Um, I think it's a really fascinating triad, those three words. And I think they sort of get lumped into the, you know, generally positive Bible words. But if we zero in on the way we respond to those ideas, I think we'll see some really important distinctions. First, hope. Uh, We all need hope. I think we put having hope, ultimately, I think we put that onto ourselves. That it's our responsibility to have hope. The reason why I say that, what I think reveals it is in our language. If we don't have hope, what do we say? I lost it. I lost hope. Or we look to people in dark moments and we look them in the eye and we say, don't lose hope. Cling to hope. These are all our works, acts of our own volition, our own determination. We've got to hold on to hope. So I think we see ourselves as the primary agents in hope. That it's, I lost hope. Hold on, don't lose hope. I'm trying to cling to hope. If we don't have it, I think we mostly blame ourselves. And our language reveals that. I think that's our basic approach to hope. That it's the bare minimum product, you know? That we got to at least have that, and so we better cling to it. Peace, I think we conceive of peace in a very different way. I think we put the notion of having peace on God. Um, I'll hold on to hope, but God, you're going to have to give me some peace. God, give me peace. Please give me peace. I'm desperate. And we kind of understand we can't, we can't conjure it up on our own. And so we just look to God and say, please give it to me. Give me peace. God, please Uh, hope we cling to peace we ask for. And I think I often maybe even feel a bit entitled to. It's like, God, you know I can't do this on my own, and I've given you my whole life, and I love you with my everything, and I'm trying to do this right. And I, don't I deserve like at least a shred of peace because I'm panicking right now? And are you at least supposed to do that? Again, it feels like the minimum thing that you're supposed to provide for me. Can you give that to me? I need it. So there's an urgency. There's an expectation. Um, in some cases, maybe a demand for it. Because again, we have this notion, and I'm not sure it's entirely wrong, that, that hope is like magical, or pardon me, peace is this magical, elusive thing that we can't go out and grab it for ourselves. It has to be given to us because we know that we can't generate it on our own. So it's a very different approach than what we have with peace. me with hope, kind of mixed up. Joy, <laughs> excuse me, joy, I think we approach it also much differently Joy, I think we hesitate to even ask for it. It it almost seems like too much. Am I supposed to even ask for that? Hope, you cling to. Peace, you ask for and maybe even feel entitled to. And joy, well, let's not get greedy. <laughs> because joy, is, I mean, you got hope. That's You got to have that. Peace, well, God said, at least give me a shred of that. But joy, oh, that's, that's a whole other thing. And let's get hope and peace sorted out first, right? Like, if, I can, if I've lost hope, it's ridiculous to think that I might use some joy. That feels like a million steps away. And once I can get a shred of hope, then then maybe I can get a shred of peace. And if that stabilizes, then maybe we'll get greedy and ask for joy. Just think about this. Again, anecdotal, I don't know. But I'm willing to bet that you have asked God for peace a whole lot more than you have asked him for joy. I wouldn't be shocked, actually, if you told me that you can't even remember the last time you asked for joy. I would like to encourage us to to stop thinking of these ideas as tiered or or stratified. Like you got hope as a bare minimum, Hope you got to hold on to for yourself. you got to cling to hope. Don't lose hope. And then from that, hopefully God will give you some peace. You know, that's a level up. And if you're able to hold on to that for a bit and things are working out pretty well and you're really kind of crushing it and things, you're feeling kind of bold, then, then maybe you'll ask for some joy, you know, like in a, in a flash of irrational confidence. Now, I want joy too. We're, now we got the flow going. I think that's radically mislabeling all three of them. We have our definition for joy, which I told you I worked quite hard on. I mean, I didn't come up with it, but I looked for it for a long time. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid to tell you. I'm quite pleased with our definition for joy. It's just two words. You can remember it. I think it puts its finger right on it. Joy. Joy is grace recognized. It's a good definition. But as I thought about the other two this week, and I promise I'm not trying to cut corners here, that's the best definition I can come up for with for all three of them. Hope is grace recognized. Peace is grace recognized. Joy is grace recognized. All three come from an awareness of the gospel. A focus on the centra- central truth of the universe. Jesus is king. Jesus is our savior. And He came and gave his life in order to rescue us. Christ has come. Christ will come again. The recognition of that grace is, it's the ultimate source of, I think, all hope and all peace and all joy. So here's an idea I want you to to think on for a minute. And Erin, if you would come help me up, I think she's gonna come. There we go. Um, And when you think about this, Hope, peace, joy. They don't rise in sequence. They rise in unison. Now, if that ran by you, don't run by that. (laughs) Let that land. Let that settle in. Hope, peace, and joy. They don't rise in sequence. Now I got one, and I can get the other. Now I got two, and I can go for the third one. Feeling bold. They rise in unison. Together, because they have the exact same source, the recognition of God's grace to us. Um, I pointed out Josh earlier. Uh, Josh introduced me to a really cool singer-songwriter guy a number of years ago, Mason Jennings. And he's got a really clever song called Keeping It Real. It's fun. It's a good one. And there's a great line in it. I love this line. He said, there's a common stipulation that there ain't no hope But there's a tire swing, baby, at the end of our rope. It's pretty good, isn't it? That's clever. Common stipulation that there ain't no hope, but there's... I'm tempted to sing it, but no one wants that. There's a tire swing, baby, at the end of our rope. I think there's something very real there about about life with Jesus. That we might be at the end of our rope. And that even in that state joy might be available to us, that God is so remarkable that he would put a tire swing at the end of our rope. Here's what I'm saying. You can cling to hope and seek joy at the same time. In fact, the joy that you find might be what restores your hope. And the hope that you see might be what finally brings you peace. Peace. These are not separate realities. They're deeply connected. There's a dynamic interplay between the three. Hope, peace, and joy, they're all born of the same thing, recognizing grace. So what I would like to encourage you to do is live your life cognizant and aware of the grace of God that's been offered to you. I know this sounds like an oversimplification, but I want to say it clearly. Living our lives cognizant of God's grace is the source of hope, peace, and joy. Now I'm going to tell you how to do this. How do I do that? All right, I'm going to tell you. It's quick. Don't roll your eyes. Walk with Jesus. Friends, walk with Jesus. Christ on the back burner, Christ as an afterthought, Christ as fire insurance, all these things where we go about our normal day-to-day lives, but don't dynamically walk with Jesus. Hour by hour, with our thoughts and our prayers returning to Him again and again, like the needle of a compass returns to the north. Guys, you can't face a 24-hour day bombarded with all the nonsense and grief and and evil that comes our way in this broken world. You can't maintain hope, peace, and joy unless through the midst of that, you are walking side by side with the ultimate truth of the universe, the King of glory, who is peace and joy and hope. I would I would love for you to do this. Wake up in the morning. And before you do anything, before your feet hit the ground, before you pick up your stupid phone. Sorry, I said something bad about your phone again. Your phone's fine. No, I don't. I hate your phone. Okay, I hate mine too. Before you pick up that awful thing, you just take 30 seconds and reflect on the beauty of the gospel. That the King of Glory came and died in your place to rescue you. When your feet hit the ground 30 seconds later, you'll go about a different day, a different kind of day. And if throughout the course of that day, your thoughts return again and again to recognize the grace of God extended to you, you know what that means? It means you're walking with Jesus and hope, peace, and joy. Come with it.